This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. I'm Francis. I am the Secret Keeper. There may be tears, triggers, laughter, a bit of learning, maybe some profanity. I'm guessing there's going to be quite a bit of laughter today. You've been warned. Make yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax as I talk to Kim and she shares a few secrets with me today. Welcome, Kim. Hi, how are you going? I'm good, I'm good. So the reason I said there may be some laughter today is because you are a psychosexual therapist. Yep. So we'll come to that in a minute, but I'm going to get you to start by describing yourself for me in three words. Okay, so three words, uh, passionate, empathetic and creative. Okay, okay. Can you tell me a little bit more about creative? Uh, Creative. I have a love of art and cooking and gardening and uh, interior design and just all sorts of things that um, I've always really, really loved sort of art history and, and other things in my own personal life. Do you, do you also take, do, do, do you actually engage in artistic practice as well? Yeah, probably not enough. These days it sort of seems to be more, you know, when I get a chance and it seems to be more sort of furniture renovation and creative things in that sense. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Did you do this lovely table that we're sat at? <laughs> I did. <laughs> 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 that was a fun piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're sat at a we're sat at a dining room table with six beautiful matching uh, white chairs and uh, sort of a bit shabby, shabby chic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, it's really nice. It's lovely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So you like a bit of furniture rent? Well, what 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 does that what does that give you as you're sort of sanding and painting and figuring out when it's just right? What does that actually do for you? I think it's making a vision come to life and. Having that, you know, you take something old and you make it lovable and, you know, it can be something that's that's new and it fits your life, mm. you know, far better than just throwing it away and, yeah. and yeah. And what does it do to your head? Does it sort of give you that sense of, does it give you a sense of peace? Does it give you a sense of energy? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, it, it does. It actually sort of grounds me and it does quieten everything down. I tend to have a very busy head and it sort of just sort of checks out and I can go into that that zone. So I was recently playing with um, a process called Kintsugi. Um, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, but it's a Japanese uh, process where, you know, you break something that's pottery and you repair it and you glue the pieces all back together again but using gold Mm. and it's a metaphor that I love for therapy Mm. in that the piece becomes more valuable um, and interesting Mm. and it's about sort of, you know, if if we have a trauma background or we have our own unique journey, we don't try to just erase it like it never got broken and Mm. pretend like it was always, you know, perfect. Mm. Um, But instead it draws attention to the what makes us all unique and mm. that there can be beauty in in going through that process. Mm, absolutely. How did you get involved in how did you get involved in started started doing that? Um, I came across some interesting things on the web. I'm always reading up about everything and I thought, oh that that would be a, a wonderful 
kind of, you know, tapping into both the therapy interest side of um, my practice and um, working with clients, but also that creative um, outlet. So I could sort of sit and over time sort of glue these pieces back together one by one. Yeah. Have you been purposely breaking the the items or have you been finding pieces? Yeah, I did. You did? <laughs> that, was, that was hard to do. <laughs> so that wasn't therapeutic in itself, like, a you know, one of those destruction rooms that you can go to with a baseball bat and a no, go. No, I sort of was thinking, oh, my God, I've got one shot at doing this right. And <laughs> you know, you've got no control over how you break it yeah. and how it's going to sort of fall apart. But it's um, it's sort of like putting back together a 3D puzzle. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, of course, that, you know, because it is used quite quite, th- quite thoroughly as a metaphor in therapy of yep. when we glue these things back together and we put somebody back together, especially after trauma. Yeah. But we actually don't know how they've fallen to pieces and we do need to find all those bits. Absolutely. To put them back together again. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. yeah. It is. And, and I love the idea that they come back and they're actually more valuable and more beautiful afterwards, having had the damage. It is. It is. And it's mm. it's just sort of saying, I, I mean, it's also sort of we don't waste things. We don't we don't throw things out. Um, and instead it's it's sort of seeing value in what we've got. So there's a lot of a lot of sort of yeah beauty in mm. that that whole process. So wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So the other thing, the other the other another word there is passionate. Probably to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Passionate to a fault. Is that possible? It is. I think that from a business sense, it's really useful because I'm always on and I'm always thinking about, you know, what what needs to be the next thing that needs to be done. But I think probably the the downside of it is that I don't switch off and you know, the, you can run the risk of burnout. Um, and so I've got to be very, very careful about making sure that, you know, I do the self-care. So the self-care the is the furniture and the kintsugi and the... Yeah, and spending time with family and making sure we get away. And that's really... When we when we do kind of go away on family holidays, it means that I can kind of sit and I don't have any distractions of, you know, the hundred list of things to do. And it just, mm. it's sort of an enforced time out. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a you've got a dog. Does the dog go away with you? Uh, when she's lucky, when we go somewhere that allows her to come with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's very good. She is. She's very she's very uh demanding of attention, that's for sure. Oh, that's the downside of cavoodles. Yeah. <laughs> she's a beautiful girl. She is. She is. She's been wandering around with this mint this mint teeth teeth cleaning rag. That's it. The, since I since I arrived, <laughs> she just loves to play. She does love to play. So so passionate means that you don't always know how to switch off. I think that can be the downside. You know, it's it's sort of it's when you love something so much, sometimes you lose perspective of needing to to switch off. So when it's um, passionate about say work you know, um, I will do a full day of clients and then come home and I'll spend hours reading articles and blogs and research papers and other things. So, you know, and then start again. So the that things that thing. so the things that you may have heard and thought I need to do a bit more research on that is what you then research at the end of the day? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I make notes and sort of say I need to find out more about that. Um, other times it's just keeping up, you know. It, you can't 
no, no one who is a specialist in anything should ever believe that they know everything about their industry. You know, mm. that's that's problematic. So, mm. yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just sort of just keep going. You never know what you find. So you are a psychosexual therapist. Yeah. That, that may be a term that a lot of people haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. What, what, what terms may people have heard it just what you do described as? So most commonly, I think sort of, um, you know, we all have different names that we sort of feel is a best fit for what it is that we do. Um, some of us go by sexologists um, because we have studied sex. Um, mm. Other ones are sort of more casual term is simply a sex therapist. Uh, that can be tricky because sometimes there can be misunderstandings that can, you know, what actually the work we do. Um, What's the most common misunderstanding of sex therapist? Well, sometimes I guess that they sort of, they might see you as more of a sex worker, you know. Mm. Luckily that doesn't happen often but, you know, sometimes you see eyebrows being raised, you know, that that kind of the look that sort of says, well, are you doing more than simply talking to a client? Mm. Yeah. So, so as a as as somebody who do, also does sexual health, um, mm-hmm. I yes, I can definitely agree with you there. Um, I've been asked on a number of occasions if I would uh, if I actually sleep with my clients and demonstrate the techniques that we're talking about, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no, it. absolutely not, and no, I will not have a threesome with you and your wife. That's a hundred percent. I mean, I've got it written on my on the website saying. This is talk only. There is absolutely no touching or nudity or anything like that. I, mm. you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen where people do have that misunderstanding, mm. um, and that's okay. Like if it's coming from a sort of an innocent place, then then I'm quite happy to sort of sit and talk and explain that's not what I do. Mm. Um, I'm happy to make a referral to somebody who does do that and who does that very, very well. Mm. So it's just that it's not me. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what sort, of, uh, what sort of problems do your clients come to you with that um, obviously, you know, thinking of confidentiality and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, what, sort of, what, what's, what, what are the common, the common issues that you're seeing in your practice? Um, I think one of the things that I love about it is it's so broad. Mm. There's not a a single thing that I sort of do day in and day out. Um, you get the, the usual kind of premature ejaculation um, or erectile dysfunction. I think most commonly you often get the mismatch in libido. So between um, two partners, one has a higher libido than the other. Um, not necessarily always the man with a higher libido mm. as well. So yeah. that's a bit of a common misconception, isn't it? it that it's always the it man is. that wants it's that more stereotype, sex. Stereotype, you know, and that's actually yeah. really difficult for a lot of men if they have got the the lower libido to mm. sort of, you know, we're not just dealing with a low libido, but we're also dealing with their idea of, you know, what a man should be like. Mm. And what society says that a man should be like. That's it. Yeah. And mm. that can be really, really challenging for them. Mm. Um you know, and then I have a lot of uh women that I see with sexual pain problems Mm. um, and that's probably one of my highest passion areas. Mm. What do you mean by sexual pain? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Mostly it's it's vaginismus, um, that the involuntary reflex um, of the muscles surrounding the entrance of the vagina and um, it makes sex painful and or even impossible Mm. and 
sex shouldn't be painful. No. You know, but for some reason people put up this with this for years, you know, or even worse, they kind of get into the medical system and, um, you know, they get bounced around having unnecessary investigations and procedures, you know, that are intrusive and making the situation worse, you know, and then there's just, it can be such a mess to sort of unpack. Mm. So the client's not only either dealing with some sort of history that's made them experience vaginismus. Yeah. They then also, on top of that, have the medical the medical treatments and the medical investigations just compounding that issue oh, and just, just making it worse, it worse yeah. and worse. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's and and what you commonly see is um, a couple might make an appointment, and what they tell you over the phone is sort of the concern is a mismatched libido. You know that she has the lower libido, and you know very quickly it comes out. No wonder she's got a low libido. It, it hurts. hurts. It hurts, and mm. you know, and then we sort of go, well, actually, we need to park the libido stuff because there's no way you're going to want to have sex while it's still hurting. Right. Yeah, and we'll, we'll come back to that, but we've got to make it so that it can actually be something you can enjoy. Mm. And do the do the partners generally understand once they once this discovery is 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 found of the libido, or is it still difficult for the partner to reconcile that the wife still doesn't want to have, or the partner doesn't want to have sex with them still? It's often not that they don't want to. Mm. Um, it's often, it's really confusing for a lot of women because they're, they're wanting to have sex but their body's trying to protect them um, and so it's this, you know, and they get the advice given to them, well, just have a glass of wine or relax or, you lots know, go lube. with it. Yeah, lots of, it, add some extra lube, mm. you know, and it's just hard. Like it's really, really hard and it's yeah. confusing for them. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so... A, a mismatched libido isn't just one wanting more sex. It could be a lot deeper than, than that. Yeah. It could be all sorts of things going on. Absolutely. Do you ever come across, um, so when I, when I was doing my training, I, I did, a, um, I did a, my placement with Impotence Australia. Mm. And one of the things we came across when we were seeing clients in there was um, foreskin issues. Yeah. Yeah, it can, um, yeah, I think often... They can have sort of tight foreskins that don't retract or there's, you know, other problems with that. That's certainly something that, you know, we do get. Have you ever had anyone comment that you're, it's amazing that you can sit there and look across from somebody and talk about this stuff with a straight face? I guess so. I just, it's, you sort of just get into that work zone and there's, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm so curious about what is going on for each person mm. that, I think all of that other stuff just gets parked and, and put out and I just want to know, I want to understand what's happening for them and where they're yeah. coming from. Yeah. I've, I've, I've actually often been, I've often been asked how, how, how you can sit across from somebody with a straight face and I'm like, because it's my job, it's, it's, it's matter of fact, it's not, it's, not, it's not a funny thing, it's not a, mm. you know, it's, it, for, for the person who's talking to me about that, it's... It's, it's real. It's real. And it's and vulnerable. It's, it's serious There's, stuff. Yeah, there is nothing funny about it. No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording mm -hmm. was around um, people um, having that expectation or using using our services as they are not intended. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's the... Um, it's the phone calls you get 
And, you know, one of the things that I always make sure I do is that when I do get a, a new client inquiry, I actually want to have a quick phone call with them just to make sure that it's something I know that I can help with. Um, and it's also a bit of a screening process as well. Mm. Um, you know, there can be internet scams that that can come up on online and, you know, and so people, I don't know, they want to get involved with all sorts of things. But, um, but yeah, the, the sort of sexual gratification phone calls, they do come through. Mm. Um, and I think you get better at figuring out that's actually what's going on mm. for them as time, yeah. time goes by. Yeah, they can be... Um I think the first time. Do you remember the first time you ever received one of those? Oh, I was on the phone with him. He kept me on the phone for like an hour or something. (laughs) Oh, my God. Before I got him, I kind of, there was some alarm bells and I was like, no, you know, what what about, what if this person is actually, you know, in real crisis and, you know, I'd be doing the wrong thing if I kind of hung up or, yeah, you you definitely get better at handling those over time. I was telling you about one. So I had I, I had one of those um, last Christmas. I was doing um, I was doing some on call work for a volunteer yeah. um, thing that I do, and I got a call on Boxing Day last year actually from from and this is um, I'm going to use the name because it was definitely a fake name uh, from Geraldine, and uh, Geraldine was telling me all about how um, she was getting sexually aroused by uh, by being on her bicycle on cobbles. Yes. And the thing, the thing, the, the alarm bells for me was I've heard this story before. <laughs> but the other alarm bell was the fact that Geraldine was amazingly soft spoken and very, very. And I'm thinking, Geraldine is not a Geraldine. Geraldine's probably a Gerald. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and eventually, after sort of hearing a few things that just the alarm bell, by, by the time I actually said these words, the, the alarm bell was basically like Big Ben yes. <laughs> clanging in my head. Yeah. I basically said, no, well, so, you know, the, these are all actually very sort of normal responses to, you know, to sexual stimulus. But when it becomes a problem is when you non-consensually involve other people in your activities. Yeah. And then the phone was put down. Yes. <laughs> Just like clang. Yes. It's a subtle way of saying, I know what's going on here, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. And it, but the first, the very first, I mean, I don't, the very first time it happens to you, just as you said, mm. that, 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 you know, you're on the phone for an hour going, but this might be a genuine call. I'm, you know, something doesn't feel right, but I'm, it could yeah. be okay. It could be okay. And when we were at Impotence Australia, we had a way that if we couldn't get off the phone, we would transfer them to Bob. And this was basically either our ma- one of our male counsellors or somebody who could do a really deep voice that would come on the phone and go, hello, mate, <laughs> you know, what's the, you know, how, how can I help you? And normally that's when the phone got put down. And I think in the six months that I worked there, only one actually continued to talk to Bob. Yeah, yeah. So it was a huge, it was, and it was, and it's such a shame because it is, it's, what does that do to your service? Oh, look, honestly, I just think it takes the mickey, doesn't it? Mm. It it means, you know, people are accessing the service. Um, they're wasting my time. It's not appropriate. It, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that to other, you know, professionals. There's no reason it should be done to me either. Mm. You know, it, it is just sort of a time waster. Mm. So, you know, yeah, there's, there's elements to it that's quite funny or amusing or, you know, just sort of really sad. Um, mm. but most of the time I just sort of think, 
I just roll my eyes and go, this is just a waste of my time. Mm. Mm. I could be doing some furniture re- repairing. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I'm just going to put you on speaker while I fix this pot. Could <laughs> 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 you use this time wisely? That's it. <laughs> A hundred percent, yeah. I think the other giveaway is the breathlessness. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> they, they seem to be always, you know, talking to you whilst walking the dog or something, you yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, you're not walking the dog, mate. No, <laughs> no, no. That's where you sort of, you know, yeah, you sort of say, well, I'm happy to continue this conversation further in therapy if that's what you want. Yeah, I've used that one as well. Mm. So it's like, you know, I'm happy to continue this. How about you make an appointment and come and see me face to face? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Whereabouts are you located? Oh, I'm on the other side of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> that can't make it. Well, how about I make you a recommendation so you can go and see somebody face to face? That's it. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm happy talking to you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and let's roll out the non-consensual line. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. So empathy, where does empathy come into your to your to your role? I think it's trying to actually relate to and understand a person's experience. Mm. So um as therapists we're not perfect. Mm. And we have our own lives and we're real people. Mm. And it can be anything. It can be the busy working mum, you know, who's juggling a family and a house and, you know, uh, their partner and their career and, and trying to do too much and just doesn't have enough time at the end of the day for themselves. Mm. And I can relate. Mm. I understand. Mm. You know, and it, it can be anything. It can be a background. It can be an experience and, and just trying to understand maybe it's something I can draw on from my own experience um, to be able to understand what that must be like for them. Mm. Um, you know, so it's more than just sort of the theoretical kind of understanding. You're really trying to get inside their head of understanding, well, what is that actually like? Mm. Mm. Have you ever been questioned about how you're able to do that for men and their issues, being a woman? Sorry, just to sort of yeah, state the bleeding yeah. obvious to you. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely am a woman. Because I know that I, because I've often been asked, how can you possibly tell me you're not a man? Yes. Um, look, actually, most of the time when I, when I suggest a thinking pattern, um, because I've heard it so many times before and an understanding of kind of, you know, I, I don't want to stereotype with men, um, but there are also things that people can, they can relate to. You know, it's, it's that vast majority of, you know, experiences and normally people actually, they kind of start giggling because it's it's something that you have just put into words, an accurate understanding of their own experience. Mm. Um, and there's the look between the partner, you know, their female partner and themselves that, that you know, she, she looks at him and says, is, is that really what goes on in your head? And he'll start laughing, you know, and then I'll do the same thing for her and I'll explain, you know, things that are going on for her head and he looks very puzzled and he looks in her head and goes, wow, you've got a very messy place in your head. You know, there's so much going on, mm. you know, and, mm. and they both start sharing this moment of sort of deeper understanding of what mm. each other's experiences are. So less likely that I'm getting, how can you possibly understand you're a woman and more, oh God, it's like you just read my mind. 
Right, that must be quite it's, quite, it's quite, quite a, a funny scenario that kind of plays out in therapy, which is um, and it's wonderful, and it also gives the client some reassurance. Um, they have the opportunity to be able to confirm, yes, that is, or even correct me and say, mm. actually, it's not like that for me, mm. you know, and they can then present how perhaps they can more relate to, um, you know, the more typical female thinking of having that messy headspace and um, mm. not being able to sort of quieten all those thoughts down. Mm. So you're able to be stand. You're able to be standard. Uh, corrected by your clients. You're quite happy Absolutely. to be corrected by your Absolutely. clients. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. more of a, you know, I'm, I'm putting forth perhaps an an option, you know, is this something that you can relate to? And and if not, let me know. I want to know. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. This is a scenario. Is yeah. it is is this is this true and correct? Yeah. No or yes? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. then I then I gain knowledge, and then they get to sort of ex- further explain what their experience is like. So, do you think you learn something from every session you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would definitely, I would definitely concur yeah. there. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. You know, you turn up to work and you you think a day may look a certain way, and then before you know it, it's gone in a complete different direction. Yeah. Do you learn as much about your clients as about yourself in each session? Sometimes, um, probably more about about clients. I do I do do a lot of reflections, but it's more after sessions mm. um, than during the sessions because I'm really yeah. trying to focus oh, no, on where we, they're at. We, yeah, but it is that reflection afterwards. I wasn't yeah. if, if one minute thinking you were sitting there going, hmm. I wonder if I can relate to that. <laughs> that's right. So but you, you're able to reflect afterwards and say, yeah, actually that's something. And do you find that you have clients come to you and you kind of go, oh, I, I, needed, I needed this client? Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it can be, you know, just helping to gain understanding in a, in a different sort of a different way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Most of, the, most of the therapists and most of the practitioners that I've spoken to have all said that clients come to them at the right times mm. for, for, for their own experiences as well. Yes. So sometimes I, I mean, I know I've, I've heard myself say something in session and kind of gone, ugh. brought myself straight back on track back onto the client but afterwards I've gone do as you do as you say that's it totally yes Yes, occasionally just be yourself it's so easy isn't it and we we often sort of preach about self-care you know and and all these other things and then we're often the worst yeah oh I I must admit I've become I I I do I do live the self-care I, I absolutely to the point where I actually make a point of doing a video on my on my Facebook page every weekend. Oh, wonderful! About what I'm doing for self care, and then asking what other people are doing for self care. Oh, beautiful! So I've actually made a point of doing that because I was very very guilty of that. Yeah, of sort of preaching the self care path, but not actually doing any of it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. I think there's a lot of things. You know, we'll often talk to clients about you know communication techniques or you know understanding or or anything, and then we think. Oh, hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. I, I might be guilty of that <laughs> at times. You know, communication versus comprehension. Yeah. <laughs> I'm communicating like a son of a gun. I ain't comprehending much. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're definitely, definitely guilty of that. Definitely guilty of that. So, with your with your work, so you you are a psychosexual therapist. Yep. How long have you been doing that? Uh, a couple of years now. 
It's um, something I transitioned from with from nursing. Actually, I was a registered nurse. I still am mm. uh, for twenty years, and I was really passionate about, I guess, human anatomy and physiology, which is why I pursued nursing in in the beginning. Mm. And so it wasn't such a, a big leap to kind of go into. Um, my own interest in trying to understand more about about sex and how it all mm. works, the theory behind it, mm. um, and combining those two passions um, into becoming sex therapist. You know, mm. it, it was something that was actually strangely quite a smooth transition. Mm. Yeah. So nursing what 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 was the nursing career like hospitals doctor surgeries yeah hospitals um i was working in theaters for a very long time so doing helping surgeries yeah wow yeah yeah it was uh busy and demanding and um and i love it yeah do you ever sort of be, are you tempted to ever go back and sort of dip your toe in and in it still or i think so yeah i'm not quite sure what the future is going to hold still Mm. As far as nursing, but um, yeah, one of those things I'm still working out. Yeah, yeah, nursing. I I remember many years ago somebody said to me, "Oh, you'd be a great nurse," and I'm like, "No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely would not be a great nurse. Um, I couldn't do the clean up." <laughs> you know, I think it's almost like like therapy. Sometimes you just you're in that place. And you're thinking about it from their perspective. You're not thinking about it from your own perspective. Yeah. Yeah, no, I couldn't do clean-up. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I can think is, God, I, I wouldn't like to be this person right now and, yeah, I and know. how can I help them? Yeah, see, but that's but it's really strange because, like, I, I, can, I, can, I can hear, you know, I can see how the progression would mm. go from nursing to therapy. Yeah. I I have been told I'm 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 actually I've been told by people that I'm quite a good therapist. It doesn't involve any cleanup. <laughs> it's emotional cleanup. It's that's just different. not physical. It's different. I think it's a very different type of cleanup. I've been doing emotional cleanup for a long time. Yeah. I was doing emotional cleanup at school, yeah. which is where the title of my business comes from. Okay. Because I was always told I was I, I was always told by friends at school, I know that I can tell you this because I know you'll keep the secret. So yeah. I was always I was doing I was great at te- people telling me stuff and not revealing other people's stories, but yeah, no, I just don't know if I could ever do the My 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 sister was a nurse. I've got a sister yeah. that's a nurse. She's a maternity nurse. Oh, she's must be good. Yeah. So she's it's so I can see how the I can see the progression. Mm. So it's it's interesting, isn't it, how you end up different paths bring us to being a therapist later in life. Yes. There are very few. What I find is people who are th- therapists are counsellors, psychotherapists. Mm. What I'm finding is that very rarely have they started as the, as the beginning of their career, mm. whereas the clinical psych, psychologists and psychiatrists that have always wanted to do that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems to be a very different path for the different the different methodologies. I think, and I think that's something that we can really bring to the industry mm. is that we do come from different experience. We do mm. come from, you know, a, a different way of looking at something. So maybe a different theoretical perspective or a different viewpoint. Do you think the life experience, also the life experience as well as the career experience, makes you? 
very different as a psychosexual therapist rather than a psychologist or somebody who's just been embedded in the theory for a very, very long time. What do you mean by life experience? So your your gen your 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 age, you've grown up, you've not yes. always been doing no that. So you've 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 lived a life and you've come you, your life has been informed by completely different things. Yes. Other than what you learn at university. Definitely. Yeah. Look, I think one of the, the biggest things about getting older when I was younger, everything was more black and white. It was all, you know, things were or they weren't and it was mm. it was simple and it was much more clean cut and under just, you know, you, you think you have all the answers and you understand everything and it's, life is more simple. Mm. And as you get older, you sort of realise actually life's a lot more complicated and there's a lot more exceptions and exceptions to the rules. Um, and so you see life as more of a, a kind of a grey place than mm. sort of black and white. Mm. Mm. And your 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 practice is not necessarily informed by the fact that you've spent your life immersed in psychology. That's true. Yep, I do. I bring a lot of um, that sort of medical model perspective and understanding to mm. to the practice. Mm. Yeah. So that ha- that's helpful, actually. Understanding medication and uh, surgeries, which can often be um, a, a a role it can play a big factor and a part in mm. a person's concern. Mm. Mm. Do you um, do you ask that your client or do you ask your your male clients if they've been to see GPs for to find out that blood flow is okay before you start dealing with the mental side of um, erectile dysfunction? Look, I do. Um, we always need to rule out and make sure that that there isn't sort of physical things going on. So I want to know that they haven't got diabetes and blood pressure problems and, you know, I want to know what medications that they're currently taking. Um, but it's usually not too hard to figure out that it's um, more of a psychology or a social um, problem than it mm. is a physiological problem. Um, you know, if you've got a fit, healthy 30-year-old young boy who's coming in who says they have no trouble masturbating and their sexual function, they don't lose their erection, they don't have any difficulty getting to climax, um, you know, when they're on their own. But they do have a problem when they're with a partner. Well, if it was a physical problem, it would affect them across the board. Mm. Mm. If it's variable in where those problems are coming up, then there's something else going on, Mm. which is actually really good news for me. Mm. I can't fix that they have diabetes and I yes. can't fix all of those things. I can certainly make health, you know, recommendations about losing yeah. weight um, but I can do something about the social and the psychology side of things. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, because it's, um, it's, I think it's quite important for us to realise sometimes that we can't fix everything. No, we can't. We can't. And, look... You know, I mean, how how often do you get a client coming in and saying, here's my problems, I need you to fix my life for me? Mm. Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and and we have to change it. We say, actually, look, I'm here to support you, but you need to do the work. Yeah. I'm not here to give you advice and tell you what to do. This you is need it. to make that decision yourself. Yeah. And you have to be ready. I mm. cannot make somebody ready to want you know, want these changes and to do the work that might be needed. I heard a really good, I um, can't remember where I heard it, but somebody said that, you know, how many sessions does it take for somebody to make change in their life? 
Mm-hmm. And the answer is none. It's the fact that they've actually picked up the phone and made the first appointment is signalling that they're already making change in their life and they yeah. want to make change. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's definite truth in that. But I think we also need to sort of address expectations. Mm. You know, I think that the saying everyone's ready for change as long as it's not them who has to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is also true. <laughs> So they they could be quite happy to pick up that phone and, you know, they want the change but they not, may not be ready to actually do, do the, work. the work. Yeah, yeah. And the work can be really, really tough for some oh, people. Is. Some people have to lay themselves completely bare in order to, you know, emotionally completely bare in order to get to the, to the, to the root of the problem. Oh, that vulnerability mm. is a really difficult place for some people to sit. Mm. Yeah, understandably. Do you find find that there is a difference between um, the readiness to go to that vulnerable place between males and females? No. No, I feel like um, I feel like that when clients come to me and they have previous um, counselling or psychology experience um, where they've been a client in other counselling scenarios, they do tend to hit the ground running better. They they get into that the rhythm and that pattern um, far quicker and smoother than somebody who's never had any counselling experience in mm. the past. Yeah. They're still figuring out how does this look and what's what's going to kind of go down. So they're sort of a bit more wary, um, and it just takes them just a little bit longer. With the people who haven't been to therapy before, do you set those expectations for them by telling them, you know, about the process and giving them an idea of how long it can take and how long it might take or not take or how much work they have to put in? Sometimes, yeah. I think particularly if they've got um, unrealistic expectations of, Mm. you know, there are people who come in and, and they want to book one appointment and they want you to fix their relationship and, you know, their erectile dysfunction and, you know... In an hour. Yep, and and hopefully get their partner pregnant, you know. Go Super Kim. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a sec, I'll just pull out my magic wand. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, sure, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like the magic stone soup that they make, you know, where you, yeah. where you go out to the garden, oh, this, this, this magic soup just needs a bit of turnip, it just needs a bit of parsnip, yeah, and they yeah. just keep coming back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just each one of those magic things. Or, you know, it's like that Santa Claus wish list. This is what I want. Yes. Okay. Let's see what we can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I heard a great thing actually on um, on the radio though because this we, we are recording this just before Christmas uh, 2019, and I heard a great thing on the radio about um, they were talking about kids kids Christmas lists. Yeah. And they apparently one of the presenters' um, nephews had put on his list the red one. And I, I actually was listening to that on the way to work and I was thinking that's actually, a, that is a little bit like sometimes when clients come in and they give us what their goals are and it is a little bit like the red one. The, the, the red one what? Yeah. <laughs> like we need a bit more detail on what you actually want to achieve out of this yes. and we can't do it all in an hour. No. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, I think mostly clients are fairly good with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they are. I think um, some of them have unrealistic expectations. But then you were able to correct them with that on what it looks like. Definitely. So just before we just before we finish up, as I ask all my guests, um, what do you think the mental health of uh, the future of mental health in Australia looks like? 
the future of mental health. Yeah. I think we're getting in the right direction. I think that, um, you know, Australians, particularly sort of more rural Australians, it's mental health has traditionally been quite an invisible problem. Um, I think in more rural communities where it's, you know, Australians have to sort of be tough and, you know, keep coping and, you know, not complain. And, you know, there's a bit of a stereotype with men that Mm. they need to be strong and, you know, they can't be vulnerable. Um, And I think we're getting in the right place and and it's conversations like this that help people to understand it's actually okay to, to talk about. And, you know, why is it that our medical problems can be valid but our mental health problems can't mm. you know and and we are it's getting better it's getting better we've got a long way to go but we are hopefully we just keep going we just keep going with all of it we'd never expect a diabetic to go without insulin no but it's this invisible stigma that people say well you look fine you're you know? walking around and you're, you're getting you're up every morning yeah okay but what's it taking to get you out of bed in the morning you know, how hard is it and what's going on in your mind? So you think the, the sort of the breaking down of that stigma and acknowledging that, you know, difficulties and vulnerabilities, it's okay to have those conversations? 100%. 100%. We can't do anything about it unless you speak up. So asking for help is important? Yes. Yeah. And just say, look, something's not right. I, I shouldn't feel like this. You know, I don't have to keep going through my life feeling this way. I don't have to accept that that this is all there is. So life's better. Life can be better. Life can be better. Life can be better. We, but we can't do anything unless people speak up. Thank you so much, Kim, for agreeing to talk to me today. <laughs> My and, pleasure. And we are going to have a little bit of an exciting, uh, exciting Patreon uh, patron special with Kim as well. So head on over there. Search secrets we share at Patreon. So a very special thanks to my guest, Kim, for sharing some secrets with me today. Thanks to Nick, my podcast guy, who's going to put it all together and make it sound good. Thank you to you, the listener, for subscribing, rating and reviewing us. That really does make a huge difference to how many people listen. So please, if you're enjoying this, go and put a review on, even if it's just one word that says great or fantastic or worth listening to. If you have a secret that you'd like to share, I would love to hear from you. Please send me an email via my website, secretkeepercounselling.com.au. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.